From WNET in New York, I'm Tom Stewart, and this is WNET Up Next, where we give you an insider's look at our programs and the people who create them. Public media has always been a special source of programs for children, with a great track record of exceptional service to kids. And joining us now is someone who's made a lot of that happen, WNET's Director of Children's and Educational Media, Sandra Shepard, who's promised to share with us everything we need to know about the role of children's programming here and how she and her team do it. Sandra, welcome to WNET Up Next. I am delighted to be here. Thank you, Tom. You know, as I was saying, public media has long had this great reputation for the high quality of offerings for children, and you've been a part of that effort for quite a while now. How would you describe our mission when it comes to children? I think our mission is very clear, and it really aligns with public media's overall mission, and that is to use television and now digital media to really positively impact the lives of kids. And I think one of the things that at WNET we do is we really think of children as young citizens of the world, not as consumers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we develop storytelling and characters that are really designed to ignite kids' curiosity and really encourage them to be caring and and confident youngsters. You're not encouraging the passive viewer. We're really not. I mean, I think one of the the really exciting things about working in public media is that we create educational television. And I think that's a great thing. Um, Children love to learn. And if we can infuse our storytelling with educational content, whether it's math or performing arts or history, in a way that's dynamic and fun, kids love it. Could you tell us about some of the uh, initiatives that are currently going on that are really at the core of, uh, of what your area is doing? Absolutely. I have the the great pleasure of working on projects from preschoolers, you know, through high schoolers. And that's a lot of fun. And uh-huh. that variety and diversity keeps me very much engaged in my work. But let me start with our youngest children. We work on two series, Thomas and Friends and Bob the Builder, Mm -hmm. uh, that are aimed at preschoolers. And Thomas is born out of a literary tradition. It's a wonderful series that introduces kids through trains, something kids absolutely love, to some really important social-emotional themes. I mean, these trains behave like preschoolers, so they learn how to listen, they learn how to work in a team. So there's some very positive messages coming out of Thomas. Have you come to take us back to our shed? I'd like a word with you two. It seems that someone has been putting ideas into Daisy's head. She's been at the diesel works all evening, and her fitter says there's nothing wrong with her. Do you two have anything to say about this? Um, two wrongs. Don't make a right. Precisely. Just because Daisy was unfriendly, that doesn't mean you should be unkind in return. I expect better from the both of you. Sorry, Sorry, sir. Thomas has a long history. It was originally Thomas the Tank Engine. Absolutely. Uh, Thomas was actually... With many other famous participants, too, over the years. Many famous participants. When Thomas was actually a short-form series in a live-action show called Shining Time Station that WNET co-produced, the conductor was played by George Carlin, Ringo Ringo Starr. 
Alec Baldwin took a stint at it over the years. Thomas is certainly a, a television series, but there have been some movie specials that have also come to public media, and Eddie Redmayne was in a recent one. So we've had an incredible lineup of talent giving back to this generation. Uh, and what's the age range, really, for the so Eurasia? Th- Thomas is really aimed at kids anywhere from, I would say, three to six. And it gets a very broad and diverse audience. It's it's really got a huge fan base. And one of the exciting things about Thomas, it also has great appeal to children on the autism spectrum. So we've been doing some interesting work for families and educators to create some tools to extend the positive messaging in homes and in schools. Interesting. And how about Bob the Builder? Bob the Builder was just reinvented. And it deals with building and construction, which actually has some early math and science. And I just want to share one fun fact about Bob the Builder, which is that Wendy, who's a character in the series, Bob's business partner, is actually voiced by Joanna Froggett, who is uh, Anna Bates in Downton oh, Abbey. From Downton Abbey, yes, of course, and, and of she's thrilled to be a role model for for young children and to give her voice to this series. Oh Noah is something that, that you've been involved with in the last couple of years. Oh Noah is one of my favorite projects. We launched it actually as an original short form series on digital. So it's got both video storytelling and gaming. I'm Noah. I'm staying with my grandmother. And where she lives, nobody speaks English. Except for Nell, who's a lot like me. Hello, Noah. Together, we're meeting new friends and trying to speak their language. But that's when the trouble starts. Want to learn Spanish with me? One of the wonderful things about Onoah and the character Noah is that learning a language is joyful, But he also makes mistakes, and when he does, he just picks himself up and keeps on going. And I think that's a a great model for children. You know, children learn a language best if it's introduced at a young age, and Ono is for kids four to seven. And they're motivated when they see characters who might not get it at first, but they just keep trying, and that's mm-hmm. okay. It's it's great to, you know, to learn from your mistakes. And so um, you're you're teaching persistence, uh, persistence, and being patient, and that it is a process. You know, all learning is a process. And I think what's great about Onoa is that the the video storytelling really immerses young children in Onoa's world, and then they can immediately play these delightful language learning games that allow them to practice. Mm-hmm. Learn the vocabulary through narrative games and stories where they get to be the protagonist. So, again, it's very active for the kids. We test a lot of our shows and our digital content, and we find that sometimes kids, they shout out the answers as they're watching the shows. It's a very dynamic process, watching our shows and engaging with our content, because they're learning and they're excited about it. And when they are problem-solving and trying to get the answer right— they show their enthusiasm in very dynamic ways. How about Mission U.S.? So Mission U.S. is a really unique project. It is a series of free online role-playing games that is intended to get kids to care about history. And as both a parent and a producer, I'm very proud of this digital-only series because we know kids need more support in history. So what we've done with Mission U.S. is kids become players and they take on the role of a character from the past. So you might be 
a young apprentice in Boston in the lead up to the revolution, and you're learning about loyalists and, and patriots. Or we have a wonderful game called City of Immigrants about a young girl who comes to New York at the turn of the century. She's a a young Russian emigre who's a Jew, and she's learning to navigate this new world. And so when kids take on the role of a young person from a past, they become invested in the history. They're navigating the times. It becomes a much more personal experience for them. And we've got five games that are being used in schools in all 50 states. And we hear incredible feedback from teachers and students about how kids develop a much more empathetic and nuanced view of history. They're engaged in the narrative, in the drama of our nation's past. And I think it's a great compliment to what the teachers are teaching and what textbooks can do. So we're thrilled about it. And I have to say, I'm very excited because our newest uh, Mission US games that are in development, one is on Japanese internment and the next is on civil rights. Mm. Uh, so we're really covering the sweep of history from the American Revolution through the 1960s. Great stuff. And we're thrilled that we've got several million users across the country. We've got tens of thousands of teachers. We're in all 50 states. So it really has taken off in a very grassroots way because I think both teachers and students appreciate this tool that truly engages them in the drama of our past. You really tapped into a need. Uh, that was yes. And I think it's interesting. Often ideas come from many different places. You know, sometimes we'll bubble up ideas internally. Sometimes we work with outside creators who have a brilliant idea. But oftentimes we'll look at the landscape and say, where is there a gap? Where can we make a difference? And so with Mission U.S., we knew there was a need and we knew there was a gap. And so we decided to create a project from the ground up that would address it. And when you're doing that in that process uh, to create a successful uh, media project, what are some of the elements that go into the production of that? Um, One thing about media is that it's a very collaborative business. And even if we develop what we think is a brilliant idea, we need to work with a team to make it happen. So in educational media, we work with advisors. We work with great writers. If we're doing an animated series like Cyber Chase, we work with brilliant illustrators and animators and voice talent. It's a real process from start to finish. And it wouldn't happen without the many talents of many different people. That's great. Uh, Cyber Chase, it's got a great history. It's uh, a homegrown project started right here. I think you were telling me it's almost 16 or 17 years old. It's it's hard to believe. We launched CyberChase back in 2001. Interestingly, we launched it online with a lead-up to the television series. So I have to say we were a bit pioneering back then. It is an original idea developed here at WNET with a team of writers and and math advisors. And we were all inspired at the time by Star Wars. And we thought, what if we created this epic adventure series in cyberspace where the good guys were kids and the bad guys were trying to create chaos and, you know, do what you know, bad guys do. Bad guys or villainous <laughs> characters do. But the trick was that the good guys could only use logic, problem solving, and math to save the day. And that was really the genesis. And so we've just had 
so much fun with the series over the years and has had such incredible impact on children who are now, who've now grown up with it, who are telling us on social media how it's impacted them. We hear from kids, we hear from parents and teachers, and I oftentimes say one of the the most rewarding It was actually an email I I received many years ago. It was from a a little girl here in New York who was watching Cyber Chase. And she said, you know, I don't feel so alone anymore because I've got Jackie as a friend. And Jackie is uh, one of the characters in the series. And I thought, wow, if we're able to fill a void in this little girl's life, that's magical. And you've been renewed now for a number of seasons. You're working on one right now. We are working on the 11th season of Cyber Chase, which is pretty exciting. And every season, we really think about how can we innovate and evolve the show. And this season, we're actually exploring not just mathematics in the series, but also environmental science Mm -hmm. and the connections between Mm -hmm. the two. And so we've got some wonderful stories where our characters are designing green roofs, they're rescuing animals, they're rebuilding habitats, they're um, learning about wind power. It's it, the, the intersection between math and environmental science is very clear, and kids love nature, and they care about the planet, so we're, we're thrilled to be evolving this season with the connection between the two. That sounds great. You know, over the years, with so much out there in the media universe, you're part of a what must be a very competitive universe. Uh, there's commercial ventures on tablets, on digital, as you were saying. How do you uh, maintain your niche and, and grow your niche within that competition? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly the environment is competitive and it continues to grow, but public media, um, we absolutely have to develop content for every platform. We can't just be on television. We've got to be on mobile. We've got to be online. We've got to deliver content wherever kids consume it. But I think what keeps kids coming back to public media content, first and foremost, is that we infuse our storytelling with wonderful characters. They're positive. They're relatable to kids. And secondly, we introduce education in a very seamless way into our storytelling. And I'm a great believer that kids love to learn. And when they can watch a show or play a digital game and tell their friends or their siblings or their parents what they've learned they're more engaged. It becomes more memorable to them. So yes, it's competitive. We've got to remain as creative and smart as ever about the content we produce, but we've got to stick to our mission, which is education, and kids will keep flocking to our content. I think also we look at the education landscape when you look at math scores or science scores for kids in this country, you know, there's been some progress absolutely over the years, but there's a lot more work to be done. So we're proud that we can contribute to the education of young children in some small way by offering programming that is making a difference and that is really helping kids to learn. And again, I just want to point out that the programming is so much more than a television series 
or even an online presence of a program. Tell me about some of the other ancillary services and outreach efforts that you're involved with. I think that's really an important point, and it's another thing that we certainly think distinguishes public media programs and Channel 13 programs from our commercial counterparts. It's television, it's digital, it's education, and then it's in the community. So we design resources around our programming for use in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, we design community engagement programs. For example, this season we designed a CyberChase Step It Up program with Tufts University where we encourage kids over the course of five weeks to get active and we provide fun activities for them to do so using math to track their progress. So, you know, we're looking for ways to extend our content in homes, in schools, in museums across the country. And I think that will continue to drive our work, that we're so not just on So this continues air. with the teacher's guides for every episode? We have and- teacher's guides. We've got wonderful at-home activities for parents. Often we develop this material both in English and Spanish. We've got, for CyberChase, a bilingual a museum exhibit that traveled across the country. So we really look for ways to reach kids wherever they are, whether it's in the classroom, at home, or even in the playground. What are some of the ways you have of measuring the impact of of what you do? I think that's a really important question. You know, research guides both our development efforts as we're designing scripts and new series. We take it out and we test it early on with kids. We often get input from parents and teachers. But once the program is done, we want to make sure that it's working. And so we've done a number of independent research projects working with outside evaluators to see, is our program having an impact? Mm -hmm. Are kids learning more? And we found with CyberChase, with Mission U.S., that the answer is yes, that kids are learning more mathematics, they're learning historical thinking skills and historical content knowledge through Mission U.S. So research is key to our work, to really proving are we are we having the kind of impact that we hope to have. Now, in addition to everything we've been talking about, are there other new projects uh, on the horizon for you? You know, it's interesting because oftentimes people think of public media as really serving young children. Uh, you know, children ages two, maybe to eight. But at WNET, we care about children of all ages. And um, a project that's relatively new is a series called Films by Kids, and it's a short-form documentary series. You're about to meet teenagers from around the world who grew up feeling the effects of war, disease, illiteracy, bigotry, and exile. Now, each has a voice. Why do they care so much about my race? And a video camera as they tell their very real stories. Okay. There you go. Find out what these teens want us to know about their world in their films. I made this film. So the kids are making their own films. So the kids are making their own films with the help of mentors, with the help of filmmakers, and then those stories are edited here in New York. But they really are the kids' stories, and they're very authentic, and they're personal, and I think that's why they're so relatable to not only young people, but to the general public, um, because they bring a different perspective. They actually allow us to to walk in somebody else's shoes, these films. And I think that's really important in today's times for us to think about what's it like to live in rural India as a young girl striving for an education. Or, you know, there's a film about a young boy in Mozambique who lost his parents to AIDS. Well, he found 
a new family in his community, and how did he do that, and and what is his life like? So these are very special stories, and I think they're really having an impact on teenagers and our community. It strikes me there's no shortage of great ideas that you could be working on. The fact that I have the privilege to work on series that vary so much in terms of content and serving kids of different ages is certainly what keeps me excited about the work that we do. It keeps me coming into work every day, you know, with a big smile on my face. But yes, I think there's there's so many opportunities to develop content, whether it's arts content or STEM content or history content or global content to positively impact kids' lives. So, so yes, it, the list is long. Now, how did you get into this world? Oh, I'm going to date myself. So I like to say I'm I'm a um, I'm a PBS lifer. I actually I graduated from university with a, a degree in economics and fine art, thinking one day I'd go to business school. But instead, I got an internship at Channel 13. Wow! And I never left. And um, and I have to say, one of the things that kept me in public media was that in the early days. I had a great mentor. My first job was with a a woman who really believed it was her job to give back, and she taught me so much about production and and creating quality media, and that hooked me, and so I stayed. And your enthusiasm is infectious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. I I feel it wholeheartedly, and uh, so thank you. And thanks so much for being here with us. It's been a pleasure. We've been talking with Sandra Shepard, the Director of Children's and Educational Media here at WNET. Again, thanks so much and, uh, and all the best going forward. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please drop us a line at upnext at WNET.org. Tell your friends about us and do become a subscriber. WNET Up Next is a presentation of the Design and On-Air Promotion Department of WNET New York. I'm Tom Stewart.